spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we're joined by Ian R. Crane. And if you don't know who Ian is, Ian is an ex-oil field executive who now lectures and writes on geopolitical issues. And he's been researching human program for many years. And this podcast was also actually recorded in Ian's caravan that is currently his home. And you might be asking why caravan. And the reason for a caravan is that Ian is currently protesting and making a stand against fracking at a place in the UK called Kirby Mispeton in North Yorkshire and me and Chris actually travelled down to the fracking site where Ian is actually protesting to record this one so it was very incredible to be able to share this guy's story and fracking is the process of drilling down into the earth in the aim to release the gas inside, and environmentalists say that potential chemicals in the process of fracking used may escape and contaminate groundwater around the fracking site. And as you can see, this is not good for the environment, it's not good for animals, and not good for humans as well. So, this is certainly something that we wanted to bring some attention to, and something that Ian really feels in his heart he needs to make a stand to do, and that's what that is exactly what he's doing. And this is happening all over the world, we've heard it in the news. On many occasions, so we just wanted to bring some more awareness to it. And as you know, awareness is always the first step to making a change. And as you can see, Ian is certainly somebody who is right in the heart of this and somebody who is really taking it upon himself to make a stand and doing something incredible. So please go to his website and see how you can support this movement. And the links to that will be in the show notes at the Ascend podcast website. So anyway, in this podcast, we talk about human programming. And as you know, all through our lives, certain cultural operating systems are constantly playing over and over again in our psyche. Radio, television, and many other stuff, data has been arriving in our psyches all of our lives. And this deep marketing that is going on around us isn't just making us, it's not just all about making us buy stuff that we don't actually need. It goes a lot deeper than that. It's actually shaping our culture, our reality. It's changing our beliefs, it's trying to show us what reality is, and it's it's literally carefully engineering our values and desire. I mean, have you even noticed how healthy when you look around at the world, healthy how the healthy information doesn't even doesn't filter through the system. It's only hid away in these little pockets that you have to go and look for yourself. So anyway, that's enough of my rant. In this podcast we talk about how much of us do we think is really ourselves compared to what some clever marketing team actually wants us to be? Why are, as human beings, are we so susceptible to being programmed? And why do we not even notice this is happening? We even talk about how much of human programming is actually going on in the world. We talked about what this programming actually looks like on an internal level. We talked about the psychology that's being used against human beings. We talked about the left and right brain hemisphere thinking. We even talked about vaccination, the war on information. And we also asked the question, why is it that certain people 
actually rebel to this conditioning and what do you think makes them different so anyway this is an incredible podcast i know you're going to love it and just before we jump this one i just want to see if you believe in what we're doing with this podcast please consider supporting it through our patreon page and just if you don't know what patreon is patreon basically is a crowdfunding platform that allows you to choose a certain amount each month that you want to support the podcast with and any amount that you choose will really be a huge help you can donate all the way from two dollars to fifty dollars whatever you want and whatever you can it really would be incredible and really would help us take this podcast to the next level and also from now on if you want to see the videos video format of all these conversations they are now available on our send podcast youtube page so it'd be really appreciative if you could head over there and subscribe and show some love on our youtube page so if you do want to also as well support the podcast you can find the link to how you can support the podcast in the show notes at the send podcast website and also in the link of the description on the podcast app that you listen to this to on now there is also a link in the description or you can alternatively go to www.patreon/ascend and support on the page there. So anyway, without further ado, enjoy. So, so let's do this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, all good. You're not too uh, do uncomfortable us? there in the middle. No, no, no. I'm, I'm pretty nice. Today's the coziest, <laughs> the coziest podcast that uh, you've probably ever done. We yeah. certainly are. Ni- ni- nice and um, coziest podcast ever. Nice and snug. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, Ian, when I first came across your work and things like that on um, YouTube and things like that, I thought it was really fascinating. And then you were talking a lot in terms of human programming, which we've touched a lot on this podcast and stuff. But just to sort of before we do start diving deep because there's a lot of sort of concepts and areas I do want to sort of see your thoughts on but just to, um, to sort of paint a bit of context as well for this podcast I mean in t- when you when you are speaking in terms of human programming and a lot of your conversations and talks I mean what do you how do you define sort of human programming as uh, being conditioned basically yeah. conditioned yeah. by the environment in which we are raised and uh, of course the uh, the establishment conditioning through primarily media mm. and uh, you know a few years ago that was tv and uh, the daily papers um and and basically you you pigeonholed yourself by which daily paper you you read because most people tended to read one and they tended to read the same one mm-hmm. every every day um, well, a different day's paper, you know what I mean? But, yeah. <laughs> um, and TV. But of course, over the last uh, decade, it's gone from TV and newspapers to uh, to YouTube, to Vimeo, to Facebook. Um, so the whole process of conditioning has uh, changed over mm-hmm. the last couple of decades. But when I talk about conditioning, it's the external conditioning, which is primarily controlled by the establishment who are effectively trying to uh, create or ensure that by the time somebody reaches young adulthood, they're effectively a compliant economic yeah. slave. Yeah. I think I think a lot of it as well as um, a lot of people now thought like the Internet was going to provide us a sense of freedom and um, liberation from a lot of. Um, the consumerist ideologies that's actually represented now in society but in all fairness I think right now social media as well especially social media 
is starting to like integrate so much more consumerism in because a lot of people are like um, looking at each other and indicating like oh they've got this and so and so is going on holiday and now they're buying into consumerism more than ever so I think right now we need this conversation because so many people are becoming like disillusioned by the fact of how bad society is being programmed yeah it's something something that we, we've, we've both been asking I would, I would love to see your thoughts on this as well but me and Chris have been asking ourselves for ages now um, I think it's um, it, Terence McKenna talks about this where he talks about sort of um, taking a piece he basically talks in terms of like taking a peek inside your own cultural operating systems and he says that when you start when you do open up that's when you start unraveling and realising how much you are being in sort of your whole values and where your attention is and everything has been uh, coming from an actual system that's been sort of manufactured in a way to make you believe certain areas of things and buy things and whatever it is loads of different areas of life being uh, indoctrinated into but me and Chris have been asking ourselves this is the question of is how much truly is like me and him how much is truly us two in general like because if you really ask yourself how many things that do we do in our life in our daily day basis that are actually are coming from someone else telling you to buy this get this get that and when I've asked myself that question there's really I mean probably the better question to ask yourself is is what are you doing that's really you mm-hmm. and and I, I still can't I mean I still can't find any I don't know if you thought of any more of that and you can think of anything but I, I can't really find anything really not many things that really aren't 100% aren't truly me until such time as you disconnect yeah from the matrix yeah unfortunately you're always going to fall into the trap of doing stuff that actually you've been conditioned to do yeah whether you realize it or not um e- even living in a house mm-hmm. is conditioning yeah and the establishment wants you to live in a house because that way it knows where you are um it's also got you on its radar in terms of paying taxation council tax and the like and it also knows that because you live in a house you've got to be an economic slave because you've got to have a mortgage or you've got to pay rent Mm. so all that in of itself is part of the conditioning process so and if you really want to get away from the conditioning you've actually got to step right away which is not easy and i'm not suggesting yeah, anyone yeah. everyone should even consider this yeah. necessarily but you've got to step right right away from that and although it didn't happen by choice necessarily but i didn't fight it as the events unfolded yeah. but it's now four years almost exactly since i had a permanent address wow. it's nearly 20 years since i watched uh television i must confess that i do read a selection of newspapers through the week but that's primarily because i want to know what the people reading the newspapers believe to be the gospel truth so that i know what the if you like the the programming model is going to or how they're going to react do you think do you think your choices themselves like you want to like um avoid um the tv um, avoid like reading the papers um, avoid like getting the house um, do you think that's like a form of conditioning as well? Well possibly I mean listen who knows what we are effectively programmed yeah. with before we even come into this physical realm and uh, you know it depends how deep we want to go today but I mean you know of course in ancient Egyptian mythology, mm. uh, we were expected to take a full draft 
of the cup of forgetfulness before we entered into the physical realm. And so it didn't matter how many times in the mythology, I'll add, because it's an unknown, Mm. um, but it didn't matter how many times you'd sort of been through this reincarnation cycle, um, then basically the whole purpose of re-entering this physical realm was to maximize the experience on offer yeah so i mean who knows maybe this is groundhog day for everybody you know maybe yeah. we keep going through the same routine um for whatever the lifespan is and then we, we we exit um we go through a period of reflection of what worked what didn't work what we might do different and then you drink a cup of uh, f- of the forgetfulness juice and off you go again yeah. Yeah, so who knows you, uh, the bottom line is the bottom line is if we are going to practice true epistemological integrity, which is to acknowledge that unless we know something as an absolute, undeniable, irrefutable fact, then we have to consider that anything else is a possibility. Mm, So anything else is effectively a hypothesis, it's conjecture. The problem is that our conditioning doesn't allow us to do that because under our social conditioning everything has to have a definitive or be a definitive Mm. and to break away from that we have to actually start to acknowledge that just possibly everything we thought we knew which is probably based on our conditioning is probably wrong and actually we need to start from the uh, the uh, standpoint of saying well actually you know what I am actually going to try and work on the principle that unless I actually know something to be definitively, undeniably true, primarily because of personal experience, then I have to keep an open mind that anything is a possibility. That's yeah, really, I love yeah. that. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, why, why do you actually think, I mean, this is something I've questioned myself. I mean, it's arguable to say that, like I said before, the, I'm questioning myself how many things in my life do I actually do that are really coming from me? But, and it's clear to say that understanding my own sort of chemistry my own biology of how my own mind works and how interested how i mean even when we were just driving down to come here there was an example where we were having a deep conversation and um i love me um, going out my mountain bike and there was a car driving past and had two like beautiful mountain bikes on see how i said we used the word beautiful because it's already been it's already seeded in mind there but even that instance i was realizing how much like the there's, there's a program running telling us that that's a beautiful bike but why do you think we're so sort of easily sort of indoctrinated in 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 what thinking that we need things and things like that um because well, again but it's part of the, the culture right so, from the get yeah, why we're so deceptible to things well because it's about our yeah. culture i mean what we're born into um you know we're born into a particular strata of society we we think i mean maybe it's something that you know we discuss later but i mean Mm. i know beyond any shadow of doubt that i chose my parents that are here and these are my adoptive parents they're still alive and i know for a fact and i've always known even before i knew i knew that um these were the people i chose my parents because uh, my mother uh, reminded me a few years ago of a story where um, before uh, I was three she and my father were debating at what point would be best to tell me that I was adopted I was adopted at six weeks and uh, they decided that you know probably when I was about four they would start to sow the seeds anyway shortly after this conversation which obviously I had no 
conscious knowledge of mm. i apparently was sitting down at the dinner table and i said to them i said by the way or was that effect yeah. you do know that i chose you to be my parents i know i didn't come here through you but i chose you to be my parents oh, wow. and i've always known that and i've always had the utmost respect for them and um uh, that something is not explainable and consequently whilst i have tremendous appreciation for my birth parents whomever they might be but i have no desire whatsoever to to find them mm-hmm. because they served a purpose that purpose was to enable me to enter this physical arena but i knew that this couple that couldn't have children were the people i wanted to be my parents and mm-hmm. that's exactly the way it worked out how can we explain that we can't mm. and and because i I've, i've said that a lot of people well maybe not so many listening to this but if if this was in any kind of mainstream arena then yeah. people listening to that will go that's a complete load of tosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's beyond their realms yeah. of comprehension and and yet within us we have an inherent sense of knowing and we also within us have an inherent sense to some extent of what it is that we want to get out of our time on this mortal coil and unfortunately the conditioning of the establishment which wants us to be an economic slave does everything it possibly can to shut that down i've just about yeah. feel like yeah. sorry John, um, yeah i was just going to say that to me was the most purest example of of a um of a unconditioned thought um and that to me because i was thinking of the concept have we ever really had a true mind a free mind sorry where we've been consciously un like um unconditioned we've been independently thought with n- absolutely zero condition like the reason why Dan wears black is because he'll be in a condition to see it well, the yeah, reason why he's done his hair like that's because he's been conditioned to see it <laughs> but the re- and have we ever had like a free-minded thought which was completely free from any commercialized um influence and that to me was going to be that to me would have been my an answer which would have like satisfied us because yeah. I, i really feel like an independent like you understanding that at that conscious moment you picked them i think it was basically you picked them because at that moment you felt emotion emotional connection then to whatever that is i don't know whether that's what created that emotional connection and it's but it certainly wasn't um a commercialized influence and to me that freedom of thought is like how do we get that freedom of thought like you've just had there how do you actually get to the point where yeah this is i'm making this choice from me not from anything else i mean it has to be said as well that you know from my generation you know i mean i was born in the mid 1950s so you know we didn't have 24 hour tv you know children's hour started at sort of like five yeah. o'clock in fact tv didn't even start programs didn't start until i think the afternoon when there was like woman's hour mm. um and then children's tv was five o'clock till six o'clock and then there was a few programs in the evening but by 11 o'clock it was shut down and as a child you watched children's hour maybe which was also obviously part of the conditioning yeah, yeah. no yeah. question about that um but it wasn't 24 7 i think the the problem and by the way we were encouraged to be creative so you know we didn't have obviously uh, the technology of today so you know what do we do we had meccano sets we had lego or better builder um you know i had a model railway and i built a lot of my own stuff you know 
so we were encouraged to to be creative and we also it also meant by the way that in my generation we also had to learn the basics i mean i am probably the last generation that knows how to uh use log tables knows how to use a slide rule um knows how to do spreadsheets longhand yeah uh, you know? no no i know we, i even read a map because so many people today have no ability to read a map or compass because they use satnav and in Egyptian mythology, you know, one of the observations made by Thoth was that reading was introduced to dumb man down. Yeah, reading and writing was introduced to dumb man down because prior to reading and writing, you had to remember. Reading and writing taught man that he didn't have to remember because he could go back and refer to stuff. Whoa. And when you look at, if you extrapolate that into everything we have now, what it's doing is it's dumbing people down. And if all of a sudden this te- technology disappears, then, you know, we're going to have a generation that is incapable of doing some of the most basic tasks that we've assumed, my generation yeah. assumed, you know, would be uh, you know just part of your your learning, your basic learning. Mm. I mean, how many youngsters today can even change a fuse? And yet, you know, my father, I mean, he taught me all of that stuff. You know, he taught me how to use tools before I was yeah, certainly yeah, when I, before yeah. I was out of primary school, because that's what you did. Because you didn't sit in front of the TV watching shite. Yeah. You know, you actually, you actually work together as a family. And then my father would tell me that in his generation, before they had any TV whatsoever, of course, the family evenings were spent playing games, you know, doing quizzes. And this was all part of the, you know, the education process. And in fact, when you look at exam papers from the late 19th, 30, 20th century, You look at exam papers that were given to 11, 12-year-olds. In most cases today, 17 and 18-year-olds would struggle with some of the the questions in that. And, and of course... um I think you know there's been a lot of study to to demonstrate that uh, you know the the education systems in the developed world have effectively been dumbed down yeah. to the point where they are literally just giving people the basics to become the economic slaves that they want. Yeah, that's you, a really good you, point. You said something before was really interesting to me, and it's what point that I've been thinking about. And you were talking, you said the word creativity, and um, I can't remember who it was, but it was a psychologist talking about this about how creativity create the, the act of creativity actually creates uh more not linear thinking what's the other word it's not linear what's the opposite for linear i can't even think of the word logarithmic basically it allows you to sort of hold creative thinking allows you to hold more co- like contradictory forces yeah. in your mind that's what he was saying i can't remember what psychology it was but it was a really interesting podcast i was listening to but do you think that's maybe why with that being said and you were saying about creativity before do you think that it could be creativity that creates um, a more free mind and it's in, in a sense and that's maybe that's why arguably when you said you said education before that well i know when i was in school edu- and still now as well that the education system seems to suck suck or zap the creativity out of out of younger indiv- individuals do you think that could be i, I think that's an extremely good observation yeah. and um um i i by the way i readily acknowledge i don't have an original idea in my head Um, because uh, you know when occasionally you know you have this sort of flash of inspiration and you think fuck you know that's that's remarkable but it doesn't take two seconds now to go on the net and find that somebody's already had that same flash of inspiration so um, although it didn't sort of happen overnight but I mean I work on the basis that um, if I need to know something 
I can actually tap into something that will give me that answer. Not necessarily right away, mm. not necessarily instantaneously, but I know that if I ask myself, for want of a better description, if I ask myself a question, within a few days, the answer will manifest in some way, shape or form. And often that'll, it'll manifest in ways that we can't explain through Newtonian explanation. But I'm open-minded enough to know that through experience that the answer will be there when I need it. Yeah. Mm. And that might be in a day or two days or three weeks or four weeks or maybe six months. Do you, do you, there's an interesting question. Do you seem to, when you, because I really resonate with that because I have the same scenario as I go for a lot of walks and things like that and, and I have them yep. moments when there seems to be when you, you've talked about this and there's a famous, was a Carl Jung when he was in his uh, biggest states of trying to like educate, uh, sorry, biggest states of thinking he would go for long walks and it was within them long walks where he would get, like sort of gain an insight into what he, what he was trying to work out. But it, I mean, do you would, do you find that is it? It seems because it it seems to me that it's sort of. I mean, we've had a, we've had someone on the podcast before. Um, I can't it's, these names cannot come to mind now. But he talks about flow states, and there seems to be like a sort of a a window within the mind, like whatever it is, like sort of which is linked to creativity, in my opinion as well. That's something that happens when you are are maybe doing things that's not too stressful for who you are maybe it's more of a you're tapping into that creativity essence of who you truly are and you just you're just more in a sense tapping in and just in being being a human mm. like in, you know what you know what i mean like because in sense of what i mean is by being a human is there's so many things in life where we put we're doing too much all the time it's like if, if, if you're doing too much of things that you don't want to do like work you can't think but if you actually if you're just being and being a human being in nature and things like that there seems to be a window that opens up in your mind where you can actually tap into this creativity and allows you to think i mean do you do mm. you feel i that? i think that that's absolutely on the money and in fact um i think this was probably the presentation of mine that you were watching that uh, you know triggered this discussion because um, it was one that i gave uh, in denmark in i think uh, 2012 maybe 2013 um where i was talking about uh, you know, escaping the matrix and, yeah. and effectively sort of using or tapping into latent abilities that we all have mm. but which the establishment has done its level best to shut down and um, in fact uh, in fact I have the book up over there the James McGurchris book because I think that's one of the um, books that probably articulates what I'm going to share with you now in a more scientific way yeah. but my and, and what I'm going to share with you, I let me stress, is my own perspective. Mm. And one of the things about our time in this physical arena, the left brain is always looking to be able to put a Newtonian explanation on things. Because the left brain, because people think the brain is a single organ, it isn't. The brain is, is two very, very separate organs sharing the, uh, you know, the cranial cavity here. But it's divided by the corpus callosum. So, yeah, there's two very, very different organs here that appear to mirror each other in some respects. But mm -hmm. apart from that, they're so different. The left brain is the transmitter receiver that effectively enables us to function within this physical arena. And uh, so it has very, very limited frequency perspective, whether that's visual, oral, color, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's very, very limited in its bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Whereas the uh, right brain is not restricted by anything. And the, the other, by the way, the other restriction to the left brain is time. Because the left brain is constrained by the construct of time, yeah. which is something that is very much unique to this physical arena. 
the right brain is an organ that has the capacity to link with everything everything and anything that there ever is was will be because it's not constrained by time and one of the things that the establishment has certainly been trying to do for the past hundred years is shut down the right brain capacity to lock people into left brain and you can always tell people that are locked into the left brain because they're the ones that have got a diary or a time manager or whatever that has you know a list of everything they're going to do today it has their day construct constructed to every 15 20 minutes you know Mm. because the left brain likes to be in control the left brain is the seat of the ego very very important very powerful i mean you know when i hear the sort of new age community say oh you know it's essential that we destroy the ego bollocks the ego is an incredibly important part of our experience in this physical arena right the ego is a one-shot deal Mm. so the ego doesn't want its experience to end so the ego one of the massive parts of the ego is keeping us safe because it doesn't want to exit this mortal coil so the fear for example is is within the left brain the right brain has no fear because the right brain knows that this whole experience is a crock of shit anyway yeah um, <laughs> and actually you know those people who tend to be suicidal that's the right brain basically becoming overly dominant yeah and uh, then saying, you know, let's get the fuck out of here. Mm. You know, what's the point in sticking around here? There's nothing more that we can learn. There's nothing more that we can contribute. Let's get out of here and just go. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, you know, they they curtail their experience here somewhat um, prematurely. The important thing is obviously to get this in balance. And this is, that, yeah. is so. And, it, and in. Um, in martial arts, forgive the analogy, but there's a term called, I, I, I forgive the pronunciation because it's obviously Japanese, but I think it's Satsudin or something very similar. Mm-hmm. And it means the absolute point of balance. So that it means that, you know, when you're in a situation that you're, you enter in that situation without fear, without anger, you know, you're just in the whole situation. You're mm-hmm. experiencing everything that there is to experience about that situation. And, of course, everything about our society, and you've got program, programs, interesting term, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You've got programs like The Apprentice put out on TV, which, of course, are trying to nurture the ego. Let's create these egos. Yeah. Let's, let's show that the only way in which you can succeed in this world is for the ego to be excessively dominant. And you're the best. You know, you're the only one. It's, the, it's me, yeah. me, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's everything about what the me can achieve and that i mean just say that i think that that's a very important experience to have and i think life up until probably the late 30s early 40s then uh, and of course as, as i alluded to earlier steiner made this observation over 100 years ago that it's really important to embrace the full experience of this physical arena which is very much the left brain experience but then something happens and you guys are going to have no concept of what I'm talking about here because you're too young. But something happens around about the age of 40. And just like it happens at the age of about 13, it's called adolescence. You know, adolescence is that time of life that we've all been through, but actually we know least about. Yeah. Mm. Well, so is the same, the change that comes at around about the age of 40. And of course, Joseph Campbell talks very much about this in, uh, in his works and the hero's journey, where something happens that, at the age, give or take, and it can happen any time between 38 and whenever you die, because it's never too yeah. late. But something happens to rip the rug out from under the ego. And if the ego is excessively dominant, then the greater the fall will be. 
And if you if people haven't seen it, one of the most remarkable allegorical movies that actually describe this is called The Game. It's a Michael Douglas movie from about 1996. And most people watching it don't get it. But it for for people who are going through or have been through this process, they completely get the allegory of what's occurring here, mm. which is he's playing a Gordon Gecko type character, extremely successful, but incredibly arrogant. You know, everything centers around him. Yeah. Um, and his brother actually buys him as a birthday present um, a- an experience. And, and basically it's uh, it's set in the sort of physical arena, but the whole experience is about destroying the ego. Yeah. But the allegory is that this is what happens in the natural world. Mm. And, what this does, and in fact, Stuart Wilde referred to this as a thousand day journey. Well, I was a slow learner because mine was about 1500 days at least. <laughs> um, but Stuart Wilde regarded it, referred to it as the th- a thousand day journey, which is where, you know, suddenly stuff starts happening in your life that you can't explain. Yeah. And because your ego is so mm. much the dominant part, it says, well, fuck it, we'll deal with this. Yeah. And And then the ego thinks it's got things under control and then something goes whoops no you didn't yeah. and eventually eventually you actually have to acknowledge that the ego actually knows jack oh. it's it's not in control it's it, and actually it's being shown that it's not in control but what is being shown is that if it starts to become a team player then the opportunities are enormous and when i talk about team player i'm talking about teaming up with the capacity of the right brain to access the all there is Mm. so like i said sorry the ego is very important it's really important it's not destroyed but that it recognizes that it it holds an important seat at the table but it ain't chairman of the board that's a really that's a really powerful point by the way and um what was going through my mind there was um um, there was a, there's a famous Donald Cr- Donald uh, Trump quote, and it's um, yeah Donald Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Freudian <laughs> uh, Donald Trump quote, and it said, um, "Show me a person who doesn't have an ego, and I'll show you a loser." And I think this is, might be why, because this might be why predominantly of people like actually identified with him because they've been grown up in this culture of well, like, straight out the Apprentice, grand, course, yeah, yeah this grand vision of a of a man who will try and save you and become like this like American hero, the all American self made man, the whole American dream identity. They surround themselves with that. But then again, it's interesting because we talk a lot about programming from um, the social media and the construction of like of um of these big media corporations well 98 percent of um corporations and media outlets didn't want trump actually win and it's interesting because well that's what they led you to believe yeah exactly mm. that's what i said that's, trump as well. uh, he's, an, he's more on the uh, he's uh, more on the like not on that fence <laughs> I, um, <laughs> we've had a few discussions about oh this. yeah we've had many discussions. <laughs> but um it's interesting because it made me think as well like what um what are the point of of like donald trump did everyone like agree with compared to like from what like the media was telling them and they're still saying now about how bad and like terrible he is and lucifer he is which and, media um particularly the british media yeah, yeah british yeah. media um i think a lot of american like cnn are really against them um even fox to an extent is very against them uh these are all like media corporations try to bring them down p- promoting hillary clinton as like this wild savior but like 
nobody really worked with that. And do you think it was because more people like resonate with Trump and his like egocentrical idea because they themselves hold this ego and and they feel like that's to the uh, look to frankly i think trump got elected because he's not clinton yeah that's you know, what, you know, i, I felt mean it was actually. not clinton i mean it was it was almost anyone but hillary i mean she's the archetypal socio psychopath yeah and i think we all knew what we were going to get everybody knew what they're going to get if clinton got uh, elected uh, sadly unfortunately they got it even though trump was elected yeah. I, I you know re- i think it's too early to really to say i think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes i think it's mm. too early to make a a call on the the Trump situation but I just want to go back to something that you were talking about earlier because you mentioned Jung and I I think there's something here that one very few people are aware of about Jung and also I think it's incredibly um, significant Jung spent much of his life especially his professional life very concerned that people would or especially his colleagues would discover his relationship with an entity that he called Philemon or Philemon depending on which side of the Atlantic yeah. you are. Mm. And uh, in his latter life, he actually drew a, a portrait of how he perceived Philemon. And uh, effectively, what he drew was an angel. Now, that was just a um, an image, if you like, yeah, in yeah. his own mind. Well. But in reality, what Jung acknowledged was that many of the insights he was sharing with humanity didn't come from him. Now, he couldn't explain where they came from. All he could, all he was able to acknowledge was that it didn't come from what he regarded as his waking consciousness. So what he wrestled with, were were these insights coming from him, but the complete him, i.e. a very deep level within his own consciousness, or was he tapping into something else? Was it a single entity, who he named Philemon, or was it something much broader? And the reason that I think it's very important is because ultimately it doesn't really matter how the left brain tries to describe the experience. The important thing is to acknowledge the experience. So when, if I'm asking a question and, you know, whether it's an hour later or three hours later or even three days later or months later, that the response comes through to me my automatic response is to say thank you. Now, I have no idea where that came from. I'm not arrogant enough to suggest that for one moment that it came from me. It might have done, but again, it's epistemological integrity. I don't know. Yeah. So therefore, I have to consider all possibilities. And you know, there are many, many, many examples of people tapping into the same rich vein of creativity. And one of the most interesting ones for me, and I mean, I know there are people who try and debunk this, but um, back in the early 1980s, a lady by the name of Nancy Stufer, who was based in California, wrote a series of books about a boy wizard called Larry Potter. Larry Potter was born in her books, was born into um, a family of wizards, mm-hmm. um, but whose parents were killed early in his life and he was adopted by... Uh, uh, relatives who were non-wizards and the non-wizards in her books were called muggles Mm. now J.K. Rowling came along some 15 years later or so and wrote a series of books that everybody knows about okay Nancy Stufer's family took J.K. Rowling to court for plagiarism and the court case was heard in New York 
because New York was selected because it's halfway between London and Los Angeles. Yeah. I believe, again, my personal opinion, that the court ruling was absolutely correct in that J.K. Rowling was not guilty of plagiarism. And uh, basically her defence was that these books by Nancy Stoufer had only been published in limited runs, had never been distributed outside of California and so barely outside Los Angeles. So the likelihood of J.K. Rowling actually stumbling across one of these books yeah. was slim to none. Mm. And anyway, even if she had, it would have been ridiculous to get so close to the original storyline yeah. and even in the name. So, and this is not the only example, it's just one of the most yeah. significant and one of the most recent examples, but it's, not, it's a, quite common where people find themselves tapping into a particular vein of creativity yeah. at, at give or take roughly the same time. Yeah, you, I'm I, sorry. I, I, go, you go ahead. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, it. I, it could, what I was thinking there, could it be like they somehow tapped on the same type of frequency at that very moment? And one of them read it. Or oh, 15 is, years apart. Yeah, uh, 15 years But bear in mind, time is only a construct to the left brain. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, oops, sorry. Go, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, at that moment, would that frequency of that idea be resonating in both their minds? I know, obviously, like, um, time's separate, but in this, in the use this instinct is time in that moment. Both of them actually received that when they had to receive it. And that was that frequency of that knowledge and that was vibrating on that and they both received it. I mean, it's um. So I want to touch on that what you're saying because I think it's a really good point. And then um, we had um Dr. Roger Nelson on our podcast too. I don't know if many of his work, but he runs the Global Consciousness Project. But he's done a lot of experiments, um, studying collective consciousness with like major events in the world, like 9/11 or mm. mass meditations and stuff like that. But I mean, and there's obviously there's cultures in the past. I mean, I know the Australian Aborigines they talked about how there was this ability to tap into this. I mean, people call it the Akashic Records, Irvin Lozanzo calls it that and stuff like that. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, like you said before, we do have these deep moments of intuition. And you said, like, we, if you question them, where are they really coming from? And listen, like you said before, majority of time, people have these same same thoughts and same feelings about similar topics and same emotions. And people, I mean, I heard an example before. You said um, the book used J.K. Rowling as a book, but it was a, uh, there was a guy who created a film. And um, there was like an argument going on between who actually wrote the film because two people co in different parts of the world have never yeah. met each other come up with the same. Well, it's film. the same in science. The, the number of, number of occasions where there are literally people working on almost identical yeah. research at roughly the same time, never coming into contact with each other, and yet you know they come up with remarkably similar results. Mm. So again, it's something that is unexplainable. In Newtonian terms, but it's undeniable because you know the uh, the records of the experiences of those individuals are, are there. So, I mean, the, the you know wasn't it was it Shakespeare said you know there is more philosophy in yeah. uh, in your world Horatio than you could ever know. Yeah. Where's that effect? Yeah. And and this is this is the crucial element, and um, you know comes brings us back to the whole point that sadly, Western society, which is trying to become um, uh, dominant through global hegemony is literally trying to destroy a lot of this natural latent capability and capacity yeah. and connect that indigenous peoples all around the world have taken for granted and as I said to you earlier you know it, it it's not insignificant 
that the only remote office of the Holy Office, which is the modern day version of the Spanish Inquisition, is actually situated in Lima in Peru. And this is because the Vatican is extremely concerned about the return of the Cuero, who came out of the high Andes some 50 odd years ago now. And the the knowledge and the wisdom that they were bringing back into the uh, community in Peru and uh, the other areas there. And um, so the establishment is concerned because it's a controlled freakery yeah. in, in, of consumerism. Mm. You know, it wants compliant economic slaves. And if we look at, you know, the, the um, effort that the Western society puts into shutting down people's ability to exit the... Um, uh, what is considered to be orthodoxy yeah. mm-hmm. you know to operate without a bank account I mean you know tell, I can tell you it's difficult to operate without a fixed address I mean I am able to do so mm-hmm. but it's difficult um, you know to register a car you've got to have an address to get a bank account you've got to have an address and you know so there are always ways and you, you find a friend or you know family to yeah. to use as uh, your mm-hmm. postal address but to literally extricate yourself completely is extreme not impossible but extremely difficult and and the, there's a reason for that you know because the establishment wants to make sure that it literally has everybody right where they want them mm-hmm. that's why you know back in the i don't know if you, you guys remember but back in the um 80s uh you know margaret thatcher put so much effort into breaking up these traveller groups that were yeah, yeah. going around the country and uh, you know trying to effectively live a lifestyle that mm-hmm. was outside we, of we, corporate we, we actually talked about this it was um, we actually had a Native American on the podcast who gave the perspective of what of how he was actually indoctrinated in the system and what they were doing to the Native Americans in the past where they were trying to say we'll give you health care we'll give you school and stuff like that and that was a, a measure what they tried to trick the Native Americans into sort of mm-hmm. losing what they losing the real essence of who they are to become something else and it's just mm-hmm. what you were seeing there really. Well, then you've got you know, um, Gina Hancock's father, yeah. Lang Hancock, who in 1974 gave an interview where he said that, in his opinion, um, the abos, uh, you know, derogatory term for starters, but the abos yeah. uh, who didn't embrace Western society should be sterilised. And, of course, we had something similar with a, um, a former MP, I think it was, from the Southwest, basically saying that those people who refuse or cannot contribute to the corporate state should be euthanized so the, ridiculous, isn't it? well obviously their conditioning has gone to the extreme mm-hmm. because they have fallen for the orthodoxy hook line and sinker and have actually shut down i mean basically their right brain is atro- in, in a state of yeah. uh, atrophy mm-hmm. Because it's just not functioning. Because the right brain is the seat of compassion. The right brain is the seat of what I term, and again, I'm not suggesting anything I say is definitive, Mm -hmm. but the right brain is the seat of our humanity. And and unfortunately, because obviously there's so much effort to shut down the uh, the right brain and get and that's why we see this increase in selfishness and and you know we we see the the loss of community the loss of mutual support the loss of cooperation mm-hmm. and, and what we replace it with is competition. Interesting. Like, yeah, I think we've been Brit- sorry. Sorry, talk. I keep on jumping. Go ahead. I think like um, the ideas of competition is in like um, all walks of life. I mean. It, even if we like, I'm gonna take the example of like um, like dogs straight away. 
they all like fighting for the teat um, for the, from the mother and so basically we've kind of like it's maybe it's I'm not sure if like it's just the competition but maybe we feel like we're going to not survive because we've got the survival instinct that we need it to survive so maybe it is like the ego taking over and going well look we have to take we have to take full control of your survival you need us you need us but I was thinking there all the way through life we've been bred in the idea of competition like competitions of like against one another for our own survival needs but basically it's not the case we don't survival not doesn't just come from excluding people survival comes from bringing people together well look let's take a sport analogy the only way in which you improve in a sport is to play against opponents or teams that are better than you Mm -hmm. you know i mean in chess you you're never going to improve your ability at chess if you're always playing against people you can beat um but it's finding that balance again yeah of course you know because the thing about a team sport is yes it's competitive but at the same time it's cooperative Mm-hmm. You know, because you you don't beat a team with uh, a team of individuals. You can have an absolute team of superstars, but if they don't play as a team, then a, a team that plays together of lesser ability individuals will beat them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's again it's finding that balance. It's bringing about that balance, and I think my uh, you know my point comes back to in the indigenous cultures there was respect for the elders. And if we look at the path that the indigenous uh, cultures took, they knew when this opportunity for change was coming about because the you know, the elders effectively determined that they started to see yeah. the behavioural changes manifest where this person was starting to go through this process. Mm. In the Western world, of course, we call it the midlife crisis because it has to be demonized because if the person embraces the experience then they will actually find a way to migrate away from the orthodoxy of the corporate state in the indigenous cultures it roughly translates as the midlife opportunity and in in many of the cultures you cannot be recognized as an elder until you have been through this process and that and when you come through that process then obviously at that point you are starting to embrace the bigger picture and you start to see what is beneficial for the community as opposed to what is beneficial for me. No, no. Do you think, I mean, because like, there's a very interesting point there about the elders in society because I think that's, I mean, what I've noticed is that within society now it's been that's, that whole aspect of that community aspect where you have an elder, it's sort of been teared apart really from, yeah. from the human psyche really. I mean, you don't have someone who you can look up to and like really like not many people some people do arguably but a lot of people don't it's, it seems to be that's being ripped out of society yeah there's no uh, i mean part of the education system and i mean i know at some universities i mean that's why um you know the average 23 year old graduate knows fucking everything yeah i mean everything there is to know there's nothing they don't know um great and it, it's an amazing sense yeah. of you know wow power yeah it seems false but, power <laughs> yeah false power exactly <laughs> And, um, you know, the only saving grace is that you know that those people, by the time they get to uh, sort of 40 or so, then something is going to rip yeah. the rug so far yeah, out yeah. from under them. It's going to literally rock their world to the core, yeah. rock their worldview. Um, but uh, the, the loss of this recognition of ex- life experience, because, you know, what we are conditioned to believe is that life experience revolves around the success I earning power within a corporatocracy. 
Mm -hmm. And so the only measure of success is the trappings of materialism. And that's what they want to nurture. And so what the youngsters are being taught is, no, look, unless that guy, unless that guy is earning a, a minimum of a six-figure salary, you know, and driving a a $20,000 pound plus car yeah. and living in a half a million pound home then he's always a fucking failure yeah. you notice how they always, they always drive Range Rovers <laughs> 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 See, you know I mean this is the this is the conditioning we come back to again mm. and unfortunately it's it's only people that seem to have either somehow gone through the orthodox education system but seemed to have managed yeah. to maintain a, a modicum of independent thought or people that have been through education systems like the Steiner schools or the Montessori schools because the, you know the thing about the Steiner system is that the Steiner education process and I'm not by the way making a case here that Steiner education suits everybody because it doesn't what, what is actually Steiner? I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that? Rudolf Steiner? I'm not okay, well, it's something maybe I've that... I've heard of him, yeah, but I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard mm, of the si system yeah. in which... The, is it like sort of a di different system in which people are taught? Well, just to give it a little bit of very quick history, but because uh, I mean, there's a long story behind yeah, Steiner, yeah, but ba yeah. basically back in the early part of the 20th century, uh, Steiner gave a series of presentations. In fact, over the course of his life, he gave over 6,000 lectures, Whoa. rarely repeated himself, never produced notes, but amazingly there was always somebody in the audience taking notes and, and actually many of those lectures were only returned to wider society about 30, 40 years ago. Um, but he had views on many, many, many subjects and his insights were truly remarkable. Yeah. And his foresight of the way society would evolve was considering he was around in the late 19th, 30th, 20th century. Mm. It's truly remarkable. Um, Anyway, he, he was so impressive in his views on education. And at the time, uh, this is like the first war, days of the First World War, the German education system was very much geared towards uh, creating the Teutonic Knight. So people were either directed towards the military or to manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, the Waldorf Tobacco Factory, the trade union there, was becoming quite aware of the restraint and limitation of the German education, of the state education system. And so they asked Steiner if he would develop a syllabus that was more balanced. And so the, the Steiner syllabus is structured to evolve the whole person, the right and the left brain. So it very much develops the creativity, a lot of focus on art, a lot of focus on music. It's not uncommon for a Steiner school, for each class, not the school, each class to have its own orchestra. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's and, and so, I mean, I know there are many concerns. Some people have concerns about, you know, the Steiner education system creating a bit of a a cult etc etc I think everything in, everything in life just to jump in quickly everything, I think everything in life does have its like yin and yang and paradigms to it like if you really do deep down like everything has its contradictions you know what I mean but mm. I, I just, I'll let you go on anyway but I just wanted to say that well, I know because I have um, you know one stepdaughter who went through uh, her entire education system yeah. in Steiner but my youngest son I mean he got to the age of 12 and then decided that actually you know what I want to get in the state system Right. Um, and uh, now, you know, so he had the first part of his uh, education within the Steiner system. Now he's in the state system. Yeah. Um, and the big attraction for him was that the Steiner uh, syllabus doesn't embrace competitive sport. 
and he oh, wa- really? he wanted to do competitive sport. You know, he's, uh, yeah. he likes rugby and um, yeah, martial arts, uh, yeah. a few other things. But uh, you know, so he went into the state system. So he's had the, if you like, the best of. I think, both worlds. I think what's good is though that he's actually went through that process of the uh, Steiner school and actually used his own creative thought to actually decide what he wants to do, which yeah. is a good thing in a way. It's yeah. a really useful thing. Well, his mother wanted him to stay with Steiner, but you know, my stance is, hey, it's his choice, you know. And, and so we sat down with him, and uh, you know, because he was able to articulate the reasons why, and he's considered reasons why he wanted to make this change, which wasn't small. Mm-hmm. By any stretch of the imagination, um, and you know, we had also discussed obviously the challenges he would face of, because he wasn't going in in the first year of the secondary system; he was going in second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was his choice, and so he embraced it. And so, it... I love that when you were saying before as well about cause I want to go back a bit before when you were talking about the left and right brain hemisphere thinking. Um, I know a lot in your work as well. You talk about how um, kids in schools as well have. I mean, does. When you, in terms of kids in schools with a left and right brain hemisphere thinking, do you think there's like been psychology behind that? Because I think, I, who was it again? It was, it was someone who's got a famous quote. He says something like, "Give me a child to the age of, I think is it thirteen or something like that." But anyway, seven, yeah, 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 and that's yeah, where seven. the conscious mind is easily sort of like subject, subjectively yeah. can be sort of, um, what's the word? Sort of manufactured. They yeah. can actually manufacture it. But do you think on a, do you think that there's the sort of clever systems in place that maybe on a biological biological level understand the workings of the kid's mind and they can understand that can infiltrate them from a young age. I'm not necessarily sure they understand yeah. the workings, but they certainly understand that it needs to be shut down. Yeah. And it's not a one-dimensional shutdown either. I mean, it's no surprise. I mean, it's over a decade ago that I gave a presentation called Codex Alimentarius, which is the global food code. And, and really what I was trying to raise awareness of is this agenda, this corporatist agenda to destroy all natural food, and destroy all natural healthcare, so that everything's controlled by the corporatocracy. And here we are, you know, over a decade later, and just a few weeks ago, the media in the UK was waxing lyrical, saying, oh, you know, the UK is at the top of the league table for eating processed food in Europe. And no surprise, but it's the Eastern European countries that are still way down that league table yeah. because they're still effectively yeah. local grow-to-market. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we have almost no local grow to market now. It's, it's all supermarket stuff. So we've got over 50% of the population now. Sorry, over 50% of the food consumed in the UK is, is junk food. Um, obviously, uh, vaccinations, in my opinion, are part of the shutdown process. And in fact, interestingly, Rudolf Steiner made an observation in, in 1916 where he said a way will be found to suppress the capacity of creativity and broader connectivity yeah. in the young mind and he said and it will be done through inoculation and of course it, it, it's less aggressive in the uk it's only 24 preschool vaccinations it's not yet mandatory but in fact just before you arrived here today i was having a conversation with a young mother who who'd come here to ask the question about whether or not vaccinations were mandatory because she was getting enormous pressure yeah, from social yeah. services and i had to explain to her that it's not mandatory but the social services will try to create the impression it is and they are not beyond using threats of removing your child and putting your child into care if you do not have them vaccinated. And I said, these are threats which cannot be enforced 
because there is no mandatory vaccination in the UK. But the establishment wants the kids vaccinated. In the US, they've gone a stage further. It's 36 preschool vaccinations. And in many states now, you cannot put your child into state education unless they've been through the full vaccination program. So a lot of parents 15, 20 years ago were migrating to California because California was considered to be a more liberal state. Mm. And um, uh, there was a lot of homeschooling communities in California. And then the corporations, particularly Big Pharma, uh, targeted the Californian um, uh, Senate. And basically legislation has now been introduced in California, which makes it, illegal for you to homeschool a child unless you are a qualified teacher you cannot become a qualified teacher in california unless you embrace the mandatory vaccination program that is so ridiculous yes but you you see we know we see it as ridiculous but we are unfortunately probably only unless something changes we are probably less than 20 years away from it being acknowledged that vaccination is mandatory because these are being pushed in spain in italy in france there was massive demonstrations in italy recently when the italian government was trying to push an agenda of mandatory vaccination didn't get reported anywhere outside of the alternative media in the uk um, it's not yet mandatory, but the push is there. And of course, they're looking to increase the vaccination programs beyond preschool now into school. And so we've got things like HPV being all but mandatory for 13 year old girls. And now they're looking to introduce HPV for boys. Yeah. But you know, when we look at the content, we look at the actual ingredients used within these vaccinations. And, and my, um, response to anyone who asks the question i say look i'm not a doctor yeah you know and it's not for me to give you counsel but from my perspective i looked at the ingredients of these vaccinations and when my youngest son was uh, a vaccination agent, the social worker came round. i said to her because she said is he going to be vaccinated and i said oh quite possibly yeah. i said but i would like you to explain to me what <laughs> the purpose is of each of these ingredients and i pulled out the sheets the you know the data sheets on the vaccinations that he was scheduled to have had he had them and i said look that's all i'm asking i'm simply asking for an explanation because otherwise i would have to use the um uh, the principle of the precautionary yeah, principle, I love that. you know, which is that unless I'm absolutely certain that they're beneficial, then from a precautionary point of view, I'd rather not. Funnily enough, I never saw that social worker again, and I never had any pressure from anyone else about vaccinating the children. Now, coming back to the Steiner education system, in any Steiner community, you will find a very, very high concentration of non-vaccinated children and in many of the steiner communities the doctor's surgeries um have worked out a way by which they can keep the steiner students off their books so because each of these surgeries their state funding is based on the part of it is based on the percentage of children that have had the full preschool vaccination program and so if they've got a high percentage of children that haven't been uh, vaccinated then they lose their funding which then obviously impacts on the wider community because it means the services that they provide are you know below what they would normally want to provide so the way in which they get around it is they keep an off 
record set of books, which is the Steiner students. So they still absolutely commit to give them exactly the same level of care as if they were properly registered, but they're not registered. Yeah. And, and, and how sad is it that a free society has to go to, to these lengths because yeah. in reality free. that freedom yeah. exactly yeah. is yeah. being eroded at a rate of knots that most people have very little perception of. When you were saying before mm. as well about um, how many injections did you say it wasn't? 24 in, in the 20, UK. And how many? 35 in the UK? 36. 36 in America. I mean, even just, I mean, I know like you said before, you're not a doctor, I'm not a doctor and you're not a doctor, but like just that straight away, does that not like ring bells in your heart? Like, on a biological level, what is that seriously doing? I mean, did because the more my journey that I'm learning about sort of health and things like that, it's it seems to be that the basics, the basics to life are the things that are the real things that the building block for for human life. Like you don't really need anything else. When you start stripping away, you find out that's what you really need. But it seems to be that, like to get back to human program, it seems that we're being programmed and conditioned to believe that we need we need this, we need that, we need this, and I think. And it gets, I think it gets to a bigger problem. That's what, that's what maybe what vaccinations are. They're trying to make, it, not even the fact of, God knows what's doing on a biological level. I mean, I've read a few things about how a child's immune system, when it's a young age and it's trying to develop, the immune system actually becomes weakened because exactly. it hasn't had time to develop and things like that, which is arguably is correct. Well, the childhood diseases, yeah. if, I, I mean, I am absolutely of the opinion um, I mean, when I was a kid, really you know, we used to have the uh, the chicken pox parties and the measles parties yeah, because, yeah. you know, once you got it, it was done and dusted. But most people of my generation, um, you know, we had the childhood diseases of, uh, of chicken pox, measles, mumps, German measles, rubella. And, and I'm absolutely of the opinion that these are essential in terms of building up the immune system. And, and you know, th- this logic that's applied... I mean, recently there was an alleged measles outbreak in, in South Devon a year or so ago. And um, it was used as a big push to get this large population of unvaccinated uh, kids yeah. vaccinated with measles. Anyway, I had this uh, discussion with a parent who knew that my um, son was not vaccinated. And um, it was him and the wife. But he said, you know, you're putting my child at risk. So I said, look, excuse me. If the vaccination actually works, then how is my unvaccinated child putting your vaccinated child at risk? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And they, they had no answer, of course. But what they were doing was the establishment was trying to use peer pressure within the community to get people to uh, go, okay, okay, I'm going to get them vaccinated. Mm. And, uh, you know, of course, it was uh, it was resisted. But any time you see media pumping out measles outbreak or outbreak of this, you can bet your bottom dollar that actually it's part of a campaign to reduce the number of, ac- of unvaccinated children in that area. Yeah, I've got, some, I've got a few points to say on that because you raised a good thing for me in my mind was that the fact that, because I've done this before as well, uh, you, the fact of just asking a question to someone, like... It's it's so easy you can like you can shout and scream, but sometimes it's just a question. Like I do this all the time on like social media or whatever it is. I try to try and make people think. I'll just I'll just ask them a question, and it's a question that you don't have to see. You don't have to put your beliefs into one area. You just have to ask a question around it. It makes people just pause and think. Whoa! Like multiple multiple parallels. There was an example. There was a there was an example for me where I was um we were at um a festival one time. And um, there was so like high security around it for some reason, and I just sat on the floor, crossed my legs, 
and the security guard says you can't sit and it was actually it was quite funny because it was actually a meditation ceremony as well and he said you can't sit now this is how crazy it is. i'm not going to mention any names of what festival it was or anything and then he could just come over and he was all being dead aggressive and stuff and i just asked him a question why why can't i sit on the floor in simple question like that he, he couldn't answer it he could not give me a valid reason why i couldn't sit on the floor so he ended up he ended up just walking off didn't he mm. but i think it's i just think it's i just think it's really crazy how a question can do it and my second thought i was going to say about yeah on the vaccinations second question i want to ask you this is a really interesting thought that i've had and um is that with us taking vaccinations and this is probably this is a question that you will like mm. do you think that way actually could be um and if to a certain degree actually sort of um weakening the human species oh i think not only are we i mean my yeah. my sense is that we absolutely are yeah. i mean i i think uh, a humanity today is is a shadow of what it was um i mean let, let's just take a look at you know ancient cultures um if we believe if we believe the orthodox version of history then you know ancient egypt was just three and a half thousand years ago yeah and and you look at the incredible architectural achievements there first of all we couldn't replicate them today yeah let alone the fact that we well, we don't have no idea how they constructed them or modeled them in the first place yeah, so many and, and of course the same with um, mesoamerica you know i mean people are familiar with Machu Picchu, but actually you know again orthodox society orthodox establishment doesn't want people to know of the magnitude of these um uh, ancient structures mm. around peru the sacred valley in particular but you know it's not just one or two they're everywhere and we have no idea how they were built because yeah. the the not just the architecture but the way in which the stonework is fitted together and we see by the way exactly the same um techniques in egypt and of course this is two societies or cultures that supposedly were first of all millennia apart mm. but uh, never had any contact with each other so there's no question the technology is not helping us yeah. the technology yeah. the silicon technology yeah. we have is not helping us and it is literally dumbing us down so um i mean and my concern and i alluded to this earlier is that with the advent of artificial intelligence and the control of the conditioning now being in the hands of so few people you know it's jeff bezos uh, i mean basically it's amazon it's uh, apple it's uh, google mm. and um facebook well, and there's one I'm missing because there's a, there's a fifth just, thing. But, you know, everything there is being controlled by these technocrats. Yeah. And, you know, when we look at the developments in artificial intelligence and transhumanism, and, of course, Ken Kurzweil, who 20 years ago was just regarded as a sort of crazy visionary um, whose ambition was to reanimate his dead father. Oh, Ray Kurzweil, yeah, Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil, what did I say? Ken. Oh, yeah, sorry, Ray, yeah. Ray, Ray. Um, Ray um, but uh, of course today he's the director of engineering with Google so he has access to unlimited funds to work towards his goal of singularity yeah. and, and so if he is in any way on the mark in terms of the uh, uh, AI and transhumanist evolutionary process mm. then by the year 2040 or let's give it even 2050 yeah then by the year 2050 in his vision the human consciousness will be able to be downloaded downloaded into the mainframe yeah and um at that point of course you get to the point well 
hang on a second then if we've got the consciousness in the mainframe do we actually need the physical vehicle and all of the material raw material consumption that is necessary to sustain that physical vehicle when we've got everything we want in the mainframe yeah mm-hmm. so you know the the other aspect of this is that because humanity is being dumbed down and and a handful of technocrats are guiding the direction for humanity the real risk is that humanity is walking into a transhumanist nightmare yeah that actually could could result within less than a century of almost the sort of mass extinction of humanity as we know it today. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting you said that because I think we don't we don't actually realise what we what we what we are becoming. I mean, it's even if um, like see, I mean, obviously technology is sort of coming along, like and it is creating it is constantly creating new things. But even if we, we look back, I mean, even if like we don't like to even go back as well, just to take the lens a bit further. I mean, we don't even know who we truly are as a person. I mean, if we went back to the first, if we went to the first, whatever you believe about natural evolution or whatever it is, but if you went back to, let's say, 300 years ago to a human, another human being, they wouldn't know what they were becoming. Like they wouldn't knew they were becoming us. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like we didn't know what we were becoming in the sure. past. So like technologically, we could have like, like I said, if you said to a hunter gatherer in the past, um, like with a bow and arrow, bow and arrow, Mm. and he, he said I'll give him the book you can have a bow and arrow you can have a, this mobile phone every single time he would pick his bow and arrow you know what I mean so we, ne- we I think all through life we don't know what would be coming but as well just another point I want to see as well um, before as well when you talked about Rick Kurzweil because there's a big movement in um, like I said you said with the artificial movement and things like that that and I, I seen a video where was the video I seen this again but there's a new video where I think it's in is it Sweden or Finland where they're actually now incorporating a chip on the arm yeah it's Have in Sweden because mm. I, I won't actually see your thoughts on that see your thoughts on that I mean what do you what do you think about the chips because it seems to me that I mean they're going to what they're going to do is I mean I mean we've had a few discussions about this yeah, and, yeah. and try to look at different angles of how, how, could it be beneficial or not but just to try and be open minded about it but anyway um, it seems to be that because I heard a theory that they're going to try and make it so like you said before you're trying to you bring about the conversation you before had before about trying to like become more self-efficient and live off the grid and not be efficient on a system but if we see if we all got chips you wouldn't be able to do that because the thing inside of you, your credit card your details of everything where you'd be you couldn't travel without scanning this you couldn't buy you couldn't you probably is into a sense as well. You probably can't even have a mobile phone because that's going to be your mobile phone. It's going to go. go well, then so, society go, will go split. So yeah, yeah. yeah, society because at the moment people are trying to operate on the fringes, if you like, recognizing that they, you know, they still need yeah. to be able to participate in some way. Mm. But at that point, I think it really is going to uh, be a separation. And and in fact, at an AV event, AV three, it was back in two thousand and nine. I had a speaker from Australia called Greg Nicoletos. And he gave a presentation. It's on YouTube. It's on the Alternative View YouTube channel. It's called The Microchipping Agenda. And the the subtitle was First Your Pets, Then Your Kids, Then You. And it's happening. And that was nine years ago that he gave that presentation. (laughs) And, you know, basically everything that he was uh, uh, forecasting then is 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 happening and of course the vast majority of people have very very little comprehension of the speed with which ai and um um, and robotics it's coming along are are being developed Mm. so i mean obviously this brings us into perhaps you know what's evolving in terms of uh work opportunities employment opportunities but you know to change the tack i'm not sure how much longer we have 
to yeah. discuss. But you know, we've been talking about the um, uh, you know the interesting stuff, and and there's no question. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Mm. But you know, there comes a point at which we have a very important choice to make, and that is: Are we going to actually spend our days focusing on self development, whatever that might be, yeah. or are we going to use our learning experience and also make a contribution to the way in which society is evolving? And, and there's so many, I mean, I'm not going to pick on any one thing here because, you know, there are so many aspects here. It needs to, people to pick up whatever pushes their particular buttons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the danger is that what um, is happening through the conditioning is that if people want to opt out, then the stress is, well, look, why don't you opt out and work on yourself? Yeah. yeah. You know, and you can work on yourself as much as you like because the establishment doesn't give a monkeys. As long as you're not doing anything which is going to impact on their agenda, then you go away and do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's one possibility and maybe you have to do that anyway maybe that's part of the process yeah. you know and that's again that's this uh, process in the indigenous cultures of um the midlife opportunity where when the individual started to show the behaviors that they recognized as the start of this process they'd be led away to a remote hut or cave or whatever yeah. and they would be nurtured and then you know the elders would come along and share conversation with them and because what they were trying to do was enable them to work through this process but at the same time the recognition is that it's not something that can be taught it has to be something that is experienced you can be guided but you have to embrace it and the way in which you embrace it obviously is experiential Mm, the true education system really isn't it it's the way it should be but then when you come out through that the other side of that process and you are now hopefully a more complete yeah. being mm-hmm. and yeah of course there's still things that one needs to learn and work on from a personal point of view but now is also the opportunity perhaps to think about what you can and it's not necessarily a phrase i'm comfortable with but what you can give back what you can offer society or future generations knowing damn well that they're not going to just take what you say at face value because they're not conditioned to do that anymore they are conditioned to believe that they know it all so the challenge is to find ways to work within communities to help communities to perhaps resist some of the more obnoxious abominations that are being thrust upon them and and actually uh, find a way to contribute to challenging the agenda that the corporatocracy is putting in place and finding a way to effectively helping humanity to recover its full potential. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Through this podcast, we've been talking about um, human programming. I mean, it's clear, it's clear to me that there is a, like a sort of like there is a pocket of sort of people who are waking up. I mean, there's more and more people that is arguably is waking up, and it, I mean even just not even just our generation, but there has been generations in the past where there has been movements where there's been good thinkers of the past who have been sort of tapping into some tapping into the real essence of who all, they, all the way who, through history who yes. they truly who they truly are. But I mean, what do you? Because I've tried to ask myself this question. I mean what do you think makes us like what do you think makes them people differently it be just, does it tie into what you were saying before about how is the 
the left brain is sorry the left brain is that more dominant than the right brain is it is it something on a biological level that, or is it just something is it, or is it just all are we all just really deep down that essence of like we all really do want to know the truth we do want to connect back to who we truly are and it's just a condition on top that stops that i mean have you asked yourself the question i mean why is it that certain people seem to wake up when others are still uh, sort of asleep uh, who knows yeah. i mean it's a good point yeah. and i mean i think the thing is that all of the above that you just mentioned are appropriate i mean look everybody comes here for a different reason yeah you know this is a twenty-eight thousand day maybe thirty thousand day now with um yeah. you know <laughs> pharmaceuticals but uh you know, we are here in this physical arena for approximately thirty thousand days now much of that is spent acclimatizing you know because yeah. we're coming into a physical arena so you know as a youngster you sort of smack your head because you're learning to yeah. function within this physical arena i'll get plunged by loads of vaccinations conditioning you know <laughs> so yeah the first 20 years is the conditioning the next 20 years is survival within the left brain dominated yeah. corporate world and then somewhere around about that age of 40 there's the opportunity to reflect and of course unfortunately most um and, I, and i'm going to share a story with you in a second that <laughs> i've told a number of times because a little bit of devilment got into me back in 94 so i wasn't quite um 40 but i was uh, i was working in london i'd come to london to work on a particular project and it was only short term but so i was staying near my parents because i hadn't seen my parents in a number of years because i've been living overseas and i used to get the train into london and I, where i used to get the train the train started yeah. so one of the beauties was at least i got a seat anyway i observed that there was this guy and he was probably in his late 50s early 60s there's this guy who literally walked up to the platform every morning at exactly the same time and he stood in exactly the same spot <laughs> and when the doors opened he would get in the train and he would go and make a beeline for exactly the same seat every day well i saw this anyway this particular morning you know the bit of devilment sort of got in there and i thought you know what i'm gonna have your seat and um yeah, so this is sort of my you know perverse amusement at that time of the morning anyway so i stood by the next doors and as the doors opened i just made a beeline for his seat and he literally came in and i opened the paper and he stood over me and he was almost shaking and i sort of played ignorant i said yeah can i help you and he said my seat and i knew that whatever i said in the next couple of nanoseconds was either going to destroy his day or at least not you know give a reasonable day so anyway i moved over i just said oh i'm really sorry i said didn't realize it was reserved anyway he sat down he was shaking anyway it took a couple of stations but after a couple of stations he turned to me and he said i'm really sorry he said i've sat in this seat for the last 25 years and i i thought how sad is yeah, that yeah. this isn't living it's an existence you know it's just an existence he's literally just going through this same routine but he was the perfect corporate slave yeah mm. and you know as um, we uh, we spoke and i said you know did you ever maybe have an opportunity to do something different and he said, well, I did go through a bit of a funny phase a few years ago. And he said, but I managed to fight it off. And I'm fight it off. still doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. and, and I thought, a funny you know, fears where he wanted to pick a different seat. And he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Check on the left-hand side. No, I'll stick with the right. <laughs> but, you know, this was his acknowledgement that, you know, maybe he had a little bit of a rocky ride. A few things that sort of caused him to question what he was doing. But he stayed with the status quo. So he absolutely responded to all the conditioning. So... 
the good news and i i you know i think in many respects what's happening right now is is things are so bad yeah i mean i i made i gave a presentation a couple of years ago a few weeks before the um, eu referendum and i made the observation i said my sense is that we are going to the result will be manipulated one way or another but it will be manipulated so that we come out and as in the purpose of taking us out of the eu will be to destroy civil society in the uk and the purpose of that is to literally create such a mess that within a few years people are absolutely gagging to get back in because it's got to be better than what we've got yeah. mm. but then once the once the lure to go back into the eu is there it'll be on the basis of okay well you can come back in but it'll be on our terms mm. it'll be total subjugation so unfortunately that's playing out right now but it's backfiring quite remarkably because as we see the increase in homelessness we see the increase in uh, the underclass we see the phenomenal problems with um uh, the benefit system and uh, you know i mean ian duncan smith was was ostensibly the minister for manslaughter in this country and you know it's, it's still not improving mm. um you know we we see the problems with the education system we see the problems with um trying to integrate a multicultural society yeah. you know it doesn't matter which way you look at it and we and of course we've got um uh, more young people living in poverty than certainly since uh, records began yeah. mm. but what this is doing is it's actually getting people to question so it's backfiring on yeah. the establishment and the fact that people are now asking themselves the questions and then it's important to ask those questions but then it's important to say okay what am i prepared to do to contribute towards trying to reverse this and of course no one of us can address all of those issues yeah. mm. but what we need is as i said earlier for people to pick on whichever of those issues pushes their buttons and instead of going oh isn't it terrible oh it's it's so bad yeah. but what can you do <laughs> what can you do because as you know i've demonstrated not just me but as we as a anti-fracking community yeah, have now, demonstrated yeah. is that when communities come together mm. and instead of doing what the establishment is trying to create which is get people to focus on the issues that they disagree upon is to get people to put their differences aside and say okay let's focus on what we agree on you know let's understand that we're not going to agree on everything because that's part of what is being human yeah, yeah of mm. course you know an independent thought but where we absolutely fundamentally agree that something is not appropriate something is wrong something is damaging the fabric of our society what can we do collect individually and collectively to bring about the changes that we know we need to see and this is what i see not necessarily happening at the speed we might like it to happen but everything has a natural process yeah. and we have to we have to of course drop our attachment to the end result because there's another facet of philosophy here which is that when you work towards something when you visualize something and you work yeah. towards that it's really important not to have an attachment to that visualization or that objective because if you do you might actually be limiting what is really possible so the important thing is to say we well, you know as far as i'm able within my limited capacity for foresight that's the sort of best i can see but i know something even more amazing could manifest but i'm going to do whatever it is i feel i can do 
to work towards changing or improving this particular aspect mm. and when you do that you you're actually you could be very very surprised at what actually manifests because sometimes stuff occurs that you never expected and uh, and, and it's not explainable either by newtonian explanation but when that does happen never forget to say thank you yeah because whatever it is that came together to bring about that result and you've contributed to it you know, you've played a small part in that but nonetheless it's something else another force that we can't put our newtonian yeah, finger yeah. on but neither can the establishment and the, and i think this is what the establishment is very very concerned about it's humanity recognizing that there's something that can be tapped into that might actually thwart their perverse corporatist agenda oh, yeah, I love that mm. I think that's probably the powerhouse that finish it on as well thank you so much for your time honestly what a podcast thank you so much yeah, thank you so thanks much guys thank you and uh, thank fist you pump. for fist pump <laughs> <laughs> thank you for uh, doing it in the confines of my home here at yeah. the Miss and Springs protection camp yeah cool I love it man that was class Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. What a great conversation that was. Ian really is somebody who is really doing some interesting work in the world and has some very interesting insights into the mind of human beings. So anyway, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And as I've said in previous episodes, from now on, all these podcasts are now also going to be available and in video form on the Ascend podcast YouTube page. So please head over there and check them out if you want to see our beautiful faces. <laughs> And we really do want to keep bringing you the most amazing conversations on the planet. And to do that, we really need your help. Please consider supporting us for our Patreon page. We do really want to create something that is 100% funded by the people. And not only create a podcast, but create a movement. With your help for our Patreon page, we can do that. So please consider becoming a Patreon. That's all we ask. Anyway, we love you all and we'll catch you next week. Peace.